Today's episode is sponsored by Youmore. Youmore helps us better understand and uplift our mental health with instant screening, data tracking, insights, and targeted exercises. I've had the pleasure of having both co-founders on the podcast, and I really admire what they do and love their vision behind the company. Youmore is the AI-powered mental well-being tracker that helps you build positive habits, change behaviors, and share your progress with friends, family, and physicians. Youmore's vision is to make mental health as seamless and as accessible as possible. Its purpose is to act as a support and prevention tool and to provide you with the data and insights to help you develop an awareness of your current mental state and stress levels. The way it works is very simple. You download the app for free on your smartphone. You fill in a quick questionnaire that will assess how you're currently feeling, which will act as a starting point, and it will check in with you daily to track your well-being over time and so that you are able to see your progression day by day. Youmore also gives you access to many evidence-based exercises which are designed to help you live your happiest and healthiest life. The goal of Youmore is to be your friend, is there to help and support you in your mental health journey. And to find out more, you can check out their website at youmore.app. Hey guys, welcome to Hope It Helps. Today's guest is Sara Tamimi. Sara is a journalist, producer, writer, and reporter who has worked with some of the largest news agencies in the world, such as CNN and Ashraf. She is someone who is truly passionate about finding the truth and shedding light on the day-to-day heroes that surround us in our everyday life. During this episode, we discuss the different mindsets and ideologies of news agencies. We talk about the challenge that journalists face, the fight against fake news, her experience as an investigative reporter, and how the truth can be subjective. And the last message she wanted to share is to follow your passion, trust that gut feeling as it will lead you to your next adventure, and lastly, be patient. Please welcome to the show, Miss Sara Temi. Hi, thank you for having me. Thank you so much for your time and for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. So, Sara, for the people who don't know, me and you actually met, I think a week ago or two weeks ago. Almost. Uh, something like that. We were both uh, actually guys on a panel at AUD talking about AUD to the world, giving both of our and our other fellow panelists, Hiba, let's not forget her, uh, about um, how to have a successful uni career and then looking into like your job and your passion and what should you do and Sara sharing some amazing stories about the work she does. So Sara is a journalist and a reporter, which I thought was really, really interesting. <laughs> I've never had someone on the show regarding like that kind of stuff. So given like the vibe we had and whatever and what you do, I'm like, I have to have Sara on the show and here we are. So. Before we get into everything, Sarah, about what you do and everything, why don't you give all of us a little bit of background about yourself and we'll take it from there. Okay, sure. So I'm an AUD graduate. Uh, I graduated with a bachelor's of uh, communication, journalism in specific. Uh, and uh, I have a minor in political science and a diploma in Middle Eastern studies. So I spent my university days studying all the time yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> I can <laughs> studying imagine. and running between exams and and writing papers but nonetheless um afterwards i interned at cnn dubai offices and uh, i landed a job over there as a producer um where i worked on multiple stories um political stories humanitarian stories even features i even directed my own uh, show or segment it's called Mishwar oh no way yeah. that's amazing okay tell us more about that okay so basically this segment 
talks about superheroes uh, of our everyday lives. Okay. Uh, and they tell us about their hardships. They tell us about their life and how they were able to defy this uh, or let's say, how can we say it? Um, they were able to change the circumstances they mm. were in, gotcha. uh, whether it was a health circumstance or even just change other people around them. So it's everyday heroes because they are around us. We just have to look. Yeah, and give them the platform to show exactly. them that, you know, there's actually people like, you don't need that whole uh, vision and image to be a superhero in, I guess, in those terms, right? And actually, I worked on the project with another AUD uh, graduate. All right. His name is Abdul. Okay. He's in CNN right now. He's still there. And we used to create amazing, amazing segments, amazing stories and connect to many, many people. So, yeah, it was a great experience. Later on, I moved to Asharq New Services. Yep. Um, it was a big, big step, a big adventure, because when I started with Asharq, it wasn't on air. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. So it was it was just new, you know, and 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 we barely we were just a couple of employees. And uh, it was scary because you're starting something from scratch and you don't know whether it's going to work or not, whether it's going to succeed or not. And with media projects, honestly, um, you discover that people change their minds really, really quickly. Okay. So they could just start the project and then later on wake up and say, you know something, I don't want that anymore. <laughs> let's, let's just change, give people their money and let's go. So, but that, that wasn't the case. And I met great, great people over there. And uh, that's when my journey actually evolved and started. Yeah. Um, so over there, um, I got the chance to become uh, a reporter. Uh, I used to go on deployments uh, to the U.S. I covered the um, U.S. Uh, inauguration, Biden's inauguration. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it was it was very very fun very very challenging. That's a big one. Yeah, and I actually didn't know that I was going to cover the event b except before 24 hours. What? Yes. <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> so I got 24 hours to pack my bags, to prepare my stuff and to just, you know, brainstorm and to be at the airport and just head out to the US. Oh so my God. yeah, that was that was scary. That was yeah, very very yeah, scary. Yeah, I was sure. uh, 23 years old. And um, I've never been on TV before. I normally work behind the camera. Yeah. So being in front of the camera was something completely different for mm. me. And um, well, there wasn't something specific planned. So I had to do all the plans on spot. And I was working with other journalists whom I give a shout out to in the US, uh, Hiba Nasser, who's a great, great mentor, honestly. Um, so basically the inauguration started we were down in the streets and um we were just preparing ourselves for live shots so they basically call you up tell you you know something we have a live shot now at 11 so prepare yourself and you just have to prepare all the information my friend hiba who was very very experienced in you know u.s affairs she's been there for quite some time she had the political side of things covered. So the statements uh, of uh, senators, of congressmen, and, you know, the political spectrum of it all. Yeah. So then I'm like, okay, she has that handled and she's perfect at it because this is her field, you know. Mm. What can I do to, to be different? What can I do to give the audience something? Yeah. I'm like, okay, 
So how am I different than the people here in the US? First of all, I'm an Arab. Yeah. <laughs> uh, secondly, this was maybe my third or fourth trip to the US, but my first one as an actual reporter, reporter over yeah. there. So then yeah. I'm like, okay, that's another difference. And then I'm like, if Hiba's going to be covering the political events, what am I going to do? Mm. So I just stood there for my first <laughs> sli- uh, for my first live, I just froze. Mm. I'm like, "Oh my god." I'm in big trouble. <laughs> I was in big trouble. I froze there. I didn't know how to look at the camera, what to do. Mm. Um, it was almost, what, 6 a.m.? And it was winter, so it was very, oh, it very dark. Freezing as well. And it was freezing. And because I had 24 hours, less than 24 hours to prepare, and I've never been to somewhere where it snowed, I've never been to cold places. I mean, I'm born and raised here. The sun <laughs> is my favorite thing in the world. So and then I'm like, okay. I went down there. I'm like, it's fine. I'm dressed properly. I froze to death. Yeah, I can like- <laughs> I'm like, my legs are shaking and my voice is shaking. And I'm like, okay. I didn't do well, to be honest. My mm. first live shot was horrible. Yeah. I went back to the hotel I I snuck under the bed sheets. I'm like, I don't want to do this ever again. This is so uncomfortable. I got a call from the assignment um, producer in Dubai. He was very, very supportive. Uh, okay. His name is Zala. I, I also would like to give him a shout out. Yeah, yeah, shout out. Uh, so basically he told me, listen, you're not going to go live until you feel completely comfortable with the idea. Take your space and take your time. And I was thankful for that because mm. I really needed that. And you know, many people in the newsroom were competing for this. I mean, media is just is just an arena of competition. Really? Yeah. And 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 it's not normally very friendly all the time, you know, mm. you get the friendly competition which pushes you forward and then you get the not so friendly competition. Yeah. So it was a blend of both. Uh, and and I was scared, you know, because people were watching and they're like, we, we, we've been in the field for 20 years. She's been in the field for like, what, two and a half? Mm. How is she sent to the U.S.? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You so know, you have to all those capital. like eyes on you, right? Yeah. Got, yeah, I got you. So then I, I had to prove them wrong and I had to prove the person who sent me there, which is my general news manager back then, Hani Abu Ayash, uh, I had to prove that he was right, that the thing he saw in me is actually there, you know? Yeah. So then I'm like, okay, no, I have to suck it up and just go there <laughs> <laughs> and just throw myself over there. And uh, Hiba called me and she's like, listen, you know something? Who said that you were bad? You weren't bad. It's your first time. It's just normal. And that's the thing with media. You get all the ego and you see people on TV and you're like, oh, my God, it seems so normal and natural with them. And then you go on TV and then you're like, oh, no, it's Mm. it's not natural for me. And then you think that something's wrong with you, but it's not. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And especially I think that's a crazy story that they threw you into Biden's inauguration when it's your first time, like. Respect to Handy for sending you and kudos to you for like, you know, having the bravery to be like, no, I'm going to go. I'm going to do it. But there's like, baby, there's some steps you I, I could have sent. You could have been sent to something a little more low key, not to something that's so such a such a big deal. And like you, you said an interesting point that when you look at the other journalists around you and the reporters, it seems so natural and stuff. But like you said, you start to think maybe there's something wrong with me, but there isn't. Like, and you now that you've done, a rep- you've been a reporter for a while now, and you've had like a couple of experiences that 
you now understand like there's a way to speak there's a way to structure like your statements how sure. to get that angle across you know how to do the ear th- <laughs> this move that everyone loves yeah, to do yeah put your hand on your <laughs> yeah. ear to prove that guys i'm not hearing you well please <laughs> back in the studio <laughs> so you told me this is a this is a tr- is it's like a trick to like just many, buy you some many time many people yes many people use it actually at okay. least at least people i know they they basically put their hands on their ear and then they're like they kind of Collect squeeze their, their yeah they squeeze mm. their eyes and then they're like okay yeah i can't hear you this is this is this is either a statement saying i can't hear you or there's something wrong you know uh, okay it's like some a, people it's like a, yeah okay, some people gotcha. use it some people do yeah uh, and then you have the whole hand gestures so that the cameraman can understand that something something's happening like for example i'm moving to the side so then he moves the camera with you because it has to be natural you know oh really there's stuff yeah, like yeah, that too yeah. oh I, but I, you agree. I had no idea you tend to agree with it with the the with the director of photography which is the cameraman beforehand yeah. And okay. then you tell him, if I did that, then something's severely wrong. Just contact someone, mm. you know, back in the studio or something. At least that's how it was between me and my cameraman and between uh, Hiba, I know, and her <laughs> cameraman. So I think it's a thing, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just, it's, that's just so interesting. I never even knew about any, like, any of that, that there were, like, those are things that, you know, you do. There's signs, all that kind of stuff. Because when, as a viewer i just watched i'm like okay everything seems normal it seems like another reporter that i've seen i i didn't i would have never known about the no, secret sometimes. hand signals and so on um i wanted to come back sara and kind of go back to the beginning a little bit about what made you decide to go into journalism what is it that you love about it how did we how did we get here i think three-fourths of the palestinians listening to this would go like I'm Palestinian, so it's the Palestinian case, <laughs> yes, you know, yes. all the time. <laughs> it's the patriotic Palestinian case. Yes. Um, and I still hold it dear to my heart. And of I mean, course. it's 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 the main, it's one of the main reasons uh, I decided to go through, to go into media, to study media. Uh, but it's also the fact that um, I love writing a lot. Okay. okay. Um, and I don't have a fear of uh, standing and talking in front of, the public in general. I love public speaking. I enjoy it a lot. So that's another thing. And then it's um, telling stories, you know, telling stories of people, uh, people on the ground, people who I may not know, but may relate to. Um, Trying to tell facts, because with journalism, it's all about facts. It's not about the truth. Yeah, yeah. Let's agree. Uh, Because the truth is subjective. That's something I've learned. Uh, It's about stating the facts it's about asking questions asking the right questions to the right people and holding people accountable i mean i watched many movies um, about journalists uh, spotlight for instance mm. was one i was hooked up to yeah um they were able to ask the tough questions to disclose things that we would have never imagined uh, it happening in our society and yeah I think, exactly yeah i think that's very important and i think that's what drove me actually into the field of media. Into the field. And I think, like you said, a lot of Palestinians can relate. So yeah. I, myself included uh, to that, to that, what's that word? That, I guess that passion to like tell, tell the real story, to tell it in the right way, to, you know, remove all the bullshit that, you know, True. can be played, around, uh, played out around the world. Um, it's interesting. I'm curious. Before you went into journalism, you probably had a certain perspective on what it is and how it works. And now you've been in it for a few years. So could you tell me what did you think before and how has it changed now with the experience that you've had? Okay. 
to all the journalism students, I think you have to hear this. <laughs> yes, yes. So, or any student who actually wants to go into the field of journalism. Um, at the very beginning, and I think that's almost every journalist's dream, uh, specifically females, um, they dream of being news anchors. Okay. Um, this was mm. mine as a kid. I mean, that's the only thing I saw uh, on TV. You know, mm. I saw a news anchor over there asking all the tough questions, um, interviewing the most important people. So I'm like, oh my God, I wanted to be a news anchor. Then I started working in the field of media. I studied, actually. Uh, I started studying. And when I studied, I'm like, okay, but there are different things you can do with journalism. You could write huge mm. stories. You can film. You can produce. You can direct. There are, very, there are many, many different fields. Um, so the anchor thing kind of stayed with me for quite some time. But when I directed, when I, sorry, uh, worked at CNN. That's when I um, noticed that I love directing. This is something I'm very passionate okay, about. Interesting. Storytelling. So it's not all about being on camera and having your hair done and your mm. makeup done and having this look and then you go like, okay, yeah. but you have to answer my question. <laughs> that's, that's, it's not always like that. Yeah. And, but when I went into the field, um, and I looked at different media outlets. I discovered that um, the truth can be subjective. Mm. And it is subjective. It depends. Um, it depends on the angle of the story. Yes. So it's just like the cup half full, half, half empty. empty. Yeah, what yeah. do you see? Mm -mm. It's the same thing. Yeah. It's a sound truth. Because I thought we're going to be completely, completely, you know, there's something called objectivity. But People should be objective, but we are people, you know? Yeah. We are not objective by nature. Of course We're subjective. Yeah, that's a very good point. Yeah, yeah so, so that kind of tends to, to cross your way. It tends mm. to stand in your way sometimes. And normally when journalists go into the field, uh, you kind of pick the channel. And I'm sad to say this, but this, is, this has been the case uh, in the Middle East and in many other countries, in fact. Uh, even in the West, it's not any different. You tend to pick the channel that suits your political view. line mm. and view yeah. and idea, uh, ideology or ideals. So this is the case. I mean, if you're with or against uh, a specific uh, political ideology, sure, yeah. you're going you're gonna to side with the channel that actually suits that ideology. But I'm not saying that... Uh, media outlets should lie or have to make up fake news, which is the case for many. Mm -hmm. uh, but um, I'm just saying that it's not black and white. There is a gray area over there. Yeah, you know? yeah, I, that's that's such a good point, and you perfectly segue because actually onto my next question about all of this. <laughs> um, first of all, I like what you said that we're ob not objective by nature as people. We're not. We have opinions on everything on food on this so imagine taking it to something like something political on that scale there's like your culture your history the experiences in your family the stories you've heard all that is going to funnel you towards a certain ideology or certain things so like you said it is because journalism from i'm not a journalist so i don't know but in my my perception of what uh let's say um pure journalism is as a like professional as it is is to find the truth 
Now, you've told me that the truth is subjective and your job instead is actually more to find fact, right? Yes. So let's say I'm one agency, you're another news agency. We're covering the same story. We have the same facts. Isn't, shouldn't, like, in my mind, you should, it should be told the same way. But like you said, just, like you said just now, different agencies have different agendas, different ways they want to present the story. They want to, each probably station wants to make you feel a certain way about this same story. The facts are the same, but nothing is, but the way, way it's told has changed. So, you worked at CNN, for example, and <clears throat> you worked at CNN and you worked at Ashok, for example. So could you just tell us, for example, the differences in those kind of experiences? It doesn't have to be specific or like detailed, just I guess maybe from a ideology perspective or how you want to present this story. Okay. Um, let's see. When you're talking about Ashok, you're talking about a Middle Eastern Arab channel yeah that is focused on uh, the middle east it could focus well we do focus on the rest of the world i mean the u.s any 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 political uh, decision that comes from the u.s rebounds to the middle east uh, just naturally you know so we do focus on international news and uh, we do it greatly um but it's focused on the middle east and when middle eastern people tell stories of the middle east tends to be quite different than when um, a spectator or someone from outside the Middle East is telling the story of the Middle East because they come with certain um, with a certain background. I mean, yep. different cultures. To them, maybe the the relation of uh, of religion and culture, this bond, mm. is weird because during the ages of enlightenment, they kind of separated mm. it. You know, so it's weird for them. Uh, the culture is different. So to them, things may seem absurd or weird or why is she dressed like that or why is, she, uh, why is she treated like that? Why is he treated like that? Why is the system like this? But for Middle Eastern people, it's, it tends to be different. It tends to be this is, this is the culture. This is the religion. Um, so they tend to tell stories differently. Um and uh, it has its ups and downs. It has its perks. I mean, uh, it always does. But uh, that's not me saying that people from international news outlets d- cannot say or cannot um, show the stories from the mini- uh, Middle East perfectly. Some some of them really did because it's a matter of a humanitarian connection sometimes when you're on the ground. So you're human, he's human. That's that's the only thing that is that is important. Yeah. Uh, so I'm not saying that they don't share stories. Uh, well, they've done great stories and they've written great stories from the Middle East. And they actually shed lights on things that many Middle Eastern country, uh, Middle, uh, many Middle Eastern um, news outlets couldn't because of the restrictions. I mean, when you're True, coming yeah. from a from an international media outlet that is American, okay, um, you tend to have um, a freedom, more freedom to express yourself uh, in specific countries. Uh, you tend to be protected a bit more than other journalists because of the background, because of the company you come from. Um, but nonetheless, they both do a great job. I mean, 
they both tell stories. It's just a matter of perspective, I think. Yeah, um, that's. Uh, this is really interesting because I <laughs> I've never thought or like like known about the back end behind all these like huge agencies or like news outlets that I've heard of and watched you know like my entire life. So it's very interesting now to be sitting with someone who's actually been there, seen how it is, done it, and to get like the the inside scoop, <laughs> shall we say? Um, so I think you made a good point that um, I can imagine from like an American out- news outlet, for example, or uh, a Middle Eastern one. Yes, there's definitely going to be differences or maybe things in a story that you can't really show to this audience, but you could to like another audience. Mm-hmm. I guess for me, the the confusing thing becomes is I'm not I might not necessarily get exactly what happened because this you're presenting it this way i'm presenting it this mm-hmm. way right so i'm getting maybe the i'm getting let's say 70 80 percent of like the story but you're showing me maybe some things you're not showing me other things so it's going to change my perception of the story and what i guess for me what maybe frustrates me it's a personal thing or when i think about it is i want to know like Word, like step by step, word by word, ex- like exactly what happened. And I think you, I'm never going to get that. And I think that's what frustrates me. You know, um, how can I say this? Okay, let's let's take this example. Yeah. Uh, for example, just going back to something we said earlier about journalists on the ground from the Middle East and from the West. I mean, um, when you say uh, Shirin Abu Aqle covering uh, Palestinian, uh, uh, the Palestinian conflict, uh, the Palestinian diaspora, yeah. um, she gives spirit to the story. She gives insight to the story. She is Palestinian. Yeah. She has been raised over there. She knows what Palestine is all about. Yeah. So she tends to tell stories differently, uh, comparing it to... B- many other journalists uh, coming from many other international organizations. Yeah. yeah. So it depends also on the journalist, okay? Okay. Big time. Okay. But in terms of the content and you getting the details of the details. Yeah. So let's take this example. Uh, Shirin Abu Akle dies in Janine. Mm. Shirin Abu Akle is killed in Janine. Mm. Yeah. They're, they're, she died. Yes. Yeah. yeah. But she was killed. Yeah. And that's the difference, mm. you know. Yeah. You can use different terms. Mm. Um, and, and the terminology is something we normally really have to take care of. Do we, do we say that this organization is a terrorist organization? Mm. Do we say that it is just an organization? When do we put that characterization? That label, right? Yeah. When yeah. do we put that label? Are we as journalists allowed to put that label? does being a journalist give me the right to do so so that's that's another question and for example with ukraine uh, in arabic uh, it's al ghazu rusiya ala ukrainia aw al azma rusiya al ukrainia well how is it is it is it an occupation is mm. it is it a crisis so it is a crisis but to many it is also an occupation how do you define that and, and and that's the difference between different media outlets, you know. It's the gotcha. choice of wording. And it's very tricky. Yeah. <clears throat> Those are some amazing examples that you just gave. I think it makes me understand a lot. It makes me really understand what, how, like, where you were coming from and 
you made a very good point about the importance of language and terminology because like you said like that label there or not there can completely change how i would view a story because you know or how i would feel about a certain story i'm curious um because i was thinking about this and i'm like this must be i can imagine this being challenging in your field so let's say you're reporting on an event okay <clears throat> you're somewhere in the world you're reporting on an event and you have a very you have very strong feelings or very strong opinion about what has happened let's say you think this is like wrong or whatever but <clears throat> you also have to do your job right so you can't just come on the camera and be like this is bullshit and no, no. Yeah. it's not it's not gonna happen so can it be challenging sometimes as a reporter because you might have very strong feelings about something but you're based on your job you have to abide by certain rules yeah abide by certain rules report it in this way this is the way we want you to you know present the story but you might in like inside you might be like but i don't agree with that and this is wrong so can it be tough to keep your emotions in check with because the stuff you're doing is like real you're touching like you know real lives real real stories real things that are happening like now I've never actually, to be honest, I've never actually faced this with other companies okay. I've worked with. Okay. I was never told to tell the story in a certain way. Okay. Um, I was always given the full trust of the team to tell the story the way it is, uh, w w the way I see it, okay. um, the way it is on the ground. And um, so that's that's one and i think many journalists if any i mean i'm i'm a young journalist let's just say that but many people would would be talking about this uh, and they uh, they talk about this because they really had experience with it but i just have a few years of experience but uh, i you know i think anyone any journalist who is on the ground and is forced to stay to say a story uh, when they don't agree with it uh, when they can't see that this is what is actually happening on the ground. If they continue saying so or doing so, it is either because they are pressured, because they are afraid for their family, you know, mm. because some of them have families. I mean, you have to provide to this family of, course, of yours. Yeah, you of cannot course. just leave them high and dry, you know. Yeah. It's either that or it's either because they really don't care, because many people don't. I mean... Uh, it's just like any other field, you know, just do it and go home. It's a nine to five job. But when you get when a journalist gets to that point, that's very destructive, very, very destructive. Mm. And that's when because when you're into the field of journalism, when you choose journalism, you choose it based on passion, yeah. not based on money, because, yeah, well, they're not paid a lot. Well, mm. not most of them. Most of them aren't. I yeah. mean, you you get to uh, work for years and years before you're actually appreciated or you're paid a lot, a lot. you know yeah, yeah, compared yeah. to like let's say lawyers or businessmen or doctors and so on you know it's not a field it's not an easy field yeah yeah for sure to make ends meet in yeah so it depends on passion so once the a journalist reaches to a stage where he tells stories just because he was told to tell stories that way that's when i think he can no longer be called a journalist okay. he can be called an employee maybe and okay. that's 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 different and what what is that's very interesting that you said that so what is it about one like a journalist getting to that point that you know um that they don't care and you know i'll say whatever you want me to say um why is it why in i guess the field maybe since we're talking about journalism in journalism in particular is it like using the word you said destructive when that passion is gone what why is it to that extent 
What because do you, like, what do you think? Because you wake up every morning as a journalist, at least for me, as okay. a young journalist. Sure. I don't know, maybe sure. 30 years from now, I'm going to mm-hmm. go... I'm going to watch the interview. I'm going to go like, oh my God, I was so naive. Maybe. I just don't know, you know? But as a young journalist who's in the field, I'm in the field because of a certain passion towards telling stories, Mm. towards stating facts, um, towards understanding uh, big cases and just simplifying them, breaking them down, uh, deconstructing it. So when I'm around people, or at a place where I am not allowed to share my opinion, where um, I, I know something is wrong and yeah. I state it and they just go like, you know something, whatever, it doesn't matter, no one's going to know. When I hear that reference or when I hear those answers, that's when that's when things, my, my batteries kind of, Mm, you yeah. know how much can you handle? yeah how right? much yeah. can i handle how much pressure can i handle and because we always we, as journalists we have ego all journalists have ego yani this is this is a must and um so when there's a clash of egos and because of the hierarchy of position he tends to call but he tends to say this is the end mm. of the story this is uh this is the end close the subject uh, when this happens multiple times, then that's when you tend to lose this passion. You, you either find another job or you tend to lose this passion really slowly and say, you know something, as long as they give me a raise, as long as I'm making money, mm-hmm. then it's great. Yeah. I mean, what more do I want? Yeah. Uh, but it depends on the person, I think. Yeah. And on the place. For sure. And I think you um, made a really good point that as a journalist, you need to have ego because especially in the sense that i because it, it's it ties into you know what you believe what you're passionate about and that ego because ego when people when people hear the word ego it's like oh it's a negative thing, it's negative mm-hmm. thing. no but also it's you need you need to have it for uh, to a certain extent to protect yourself and to not only that to give more weight to what I'm talking about or what I care about. And in your in your world, it's you're in the you live in the world of opinions. True. You know what I mean? Every journalist has a different opinion, a different take or whatever. So you kinda need that to be like, this is I'm sorry, mm-hmm. this is me. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Um I think that's a really, really, really interesting point. Um I wanted to ask you like so for example, this is something I was thinking about when I was like preparing the questions. I'm like, I wanna ask Sarah about this to get her take. Um this term fake news right okay this term i was thinking about it the other day i'm like this never existed before that term was never existed until trump came around like that term fake news now it's become like popularized whatever or at least i never heard it okay um and now it's a term that gets like thrown around like all the time and it's thrown just because i don't agree with like your perspective like your opinion on this story i don't agree with or your political ideology oh it's fake it's fake it's fake to just discredit it so when everyone's like just throwing this kind of shade that different opinions and it's very hard for people not nowadays like it feels like people are becoming more uh, what's the word uh, tribal in their you know perspectives and their beliefs and so on you know we are i li- part of let's say maybe this agency or i'm part of this political group or this ideology and whatever and like everyone against that or if you try to challenge that 
you're my enemy and so on. So it's becoming more and more difficult. I, 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 my, this is my perspective to find like the truth, to find a news outlet that you relate to and you feel is actually telling you the truth, not just working on that kind of agenda. So I guess you've been in the field for a while. You kind of have some experience with this. So what would you advise to people when it comes to like finding like in the right agents, the right outlet for you or how to find the truth or, you know, because I feel like nowadays it's just just like a jungle, even for my, myself included, by the way, even I struggle. I'm like, I, I don't know. I'm like, I could read this here. I could read this there and it could say different things. So I'm like, who's right? And then I just get confused. I don't know. Okay. Okay, so to your first point about fake news, it has been there since ages and ages and ages and decades ago. It's it's there every day. We we, we see hmm. it every day. I mean, yeah. um, we tell stories. Hmm. We may not. We may tell wrong stories sometimes, you know, uh, just to add some spices here yeah. and there. Yeah. This is fake news. Yeah. Um, Telephone cassé is a game that is normally played, uh, which is basically you whisper a word yes, in someone's yes. ear and then he moves it around and the word suddenly changes. Why yep. is that? Because because that's 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 the way it is. When when words are transferred, when stories are told from one person to another, it will not have the exact same context all the time. True, very true. Um, this is something we know because we we enjoy it as a game, but like... Let's look at the bigger picture there. Yeah. Um, in Nazi Germany, let's say, uh, one of the diplomats, um, uh, the officials there, I'm not quite sure what his name was, uh, pr- probably my professor would kill me because he used this example <laughs> over and over again and he mentioned his name over and over again. He used to say, um, keep on lying until the people believe you, mm. uh, until you believe yourself. So... This this has been there for quite some time, you know. It's not something new. It may have just rised to the, uh, to the surface yes. very very yeah. recently. Yeah, that. Uh, you know, at least for the uh, for the general public because yeah. of the social media, because of the character. I mean, Trump is a character. Yeah. Okay. Um, and it's uh, he's a character that people would love to watch and see. And what is he gonna do next? You know. Yeah. So that's 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 why it got so much attention. Now, in terms to uh, in terms of where to look at for news, yeah, um, I I I don't have an answer for that. You know, okay, that's fine because yeah. you can always look at different news outlets. Um, but it's not only news outlets now that kind of share stories. You have social media, you have Sahafi um, uh, mm. which is the civilian journalist. Uh, so basically, you have people on the ground uh, holding their phones and just taking pictures and taking videos. That's not a credible source all the time, but it may be a source. You know, you just have to uh, understand sourcing. Read it from different news outlets. See the difference. Mm. See the videos. See mm-hmm. the pictures. Uh, concentrate on that. Uh, going back to your Trump, uh, because you mentioned Trump. You remember there was an incident with Trump and the Pope when there was this video that went viral of the Pope uh, kind of messing with Trump's hand. Mm-hmm. Trump wanted to hold his hand or something, and then the Pope was like... <laughs> so it, the moment I saw this video, I think I was uh, I was back in... Yeah, I was in uni back then. 
Uh, the moment I saw this video, many, many news outlets, by the way, uh, took it and said that this is actually what happened. But um, I concentrated on the video. Okay. I looked at the hand. Yeah. I noticed that the sleeves are different. The cuffs are different. There is something wrong. The edit, the cut. Mm. Um, this is something you need to take care of. And this is something you need to look at. And then I'm like, no, th this, this is not right. And my professor got this as an example saying, see, when you don't concentrate, when, when you just publicize fake news, this is what it is. And many international news outlets, by the way, said that it was true and then sent out another uh, article saying, okay, sorry, we mixed up. It wasn't. Yeah, so you really have to take care sometimes. It's, it has to do with perspective. Yeah. You're just like a detective all the time. Yeah, I know. So. And, th and th you, thank you. You said the perfect word. You have to be, it feels like you have to be a detective all the time. And I think that's exhausting. You yeah. know what I mean? Because you consistently, even like you said, not only an example you gave is great because it's not just, for example, the story. It's not just the words. Even the edit of like what my eyes are seeing could have been like changed or altered in a certain way to fit this narrative. And does this happen sometimes? I, I don't know. If, I, I really don't know if this happens sometimes. So let's say you are doing a, I don't know what this would be called, like when you do a lot of research, whatever, and then okay. you're going to like present something. I don't know what, what, okay. what would you call something like but that? You mean something that is filmed? Yeah, it's something a, that okay. is filmed. Yeah. It's a VT. So, okay. Okay. yeah, okay. that's what we call it in news uh, terms. Uh, of course, sorry. <laughs> it's all right. <laughs> uh, so, it's a news report. Yeah. So, let's say you cover, you're, you're, um, you shot a news report, right? Mm -hmm. you, were, you were the one on ground. You're the one who did the interviews. You're the one who went around and, like, saw the places and the people and stuff. So, you have your story, like, you as the journalist, you as the reporter. You were there. You know how you were there. You want to tell the story in this certain way. Does it ever happen that once I give you, I give this piece of like video or this content to like the editing and production team on the back end that they might decide differently or make changes or alter the story that's different from what you were, you saw and read and reported and the way you want to tell the story? Is that something that happens often? Is it, uh, cause I, I don't, or is it like, does that come from higher up or is it like a battle in between? Like, I don't know. Okay. So let's go back to the basics of how the report is normally sure. done yeah. so that we can just deconstruct that. Yeah. Um, when we shoot a report, um, I'm on the ground with my producer, with uh, my DOP cameraman um, and many other people on the ground too, you know. Uh, it depends how big is your team. Uh, you're on the ground, you shoot the videos, you shoot the interviews and then you write a script the script should be aligned with the with the way the pictures because you cannot write a script to nothing. Yeah, really. you yeah. cannot write the script and then film. You film and according to what you filmed, you write the script. Yeah. So this basically just holds everything together. It's like the glue. Yeah. And then what what we normally do, what I did uh, at my previous um, company and at Sharq, uh, was. Uh, Basically, we used to do the rough cut, so I used to edit too. Oh, really? Okay. And okay. if I do not edit, I'm next. I'm by the editor the whole time. I recorded the sound. I told him how the cuts, how I want the cuts. Of course, he has his artistic view to things, you know. Sure. Uh, and it's a teamwork. Uh, but this is how this is how 
the the news report is basically broadcasted the way it's supposed to be and that is how it's normally not changed and then you get to look at it again you know after it's done so you go like oh but no this is not what i wanted mm. uh, no but this changes the meaning because i mean sometimes uh, the dop the cameraman or the editor he's not necessarily uh, he could not nece- he could necessarily yani, be someone who's just specialized in filming, you know. Uh, so he's not a journalist. Sometimes they are journalists, by the way, uh, but sometimes they're not. So it's it could be just a common mistake, you know. And that's when you get to change it when you watch the video again and then just make the changes. Make the changes. Okay, that's it's such a. Um, I I think a, a lot of people don't realize, myself included, um, the amount of work. The like behind the scenes work and the actual work it takes just to get like that shot that you see on like the news or like that story or whatever. Um, sounds like so. Uh, My video producer used to cry every time, (laughs) (laughs) and he's my best friend now. By the way, he's he's uh, uh, Abe uh, Abdul used to cry every time we go on a shoot because I'm constantly above his head. I'm like, did you take this? Could you take a medium shot of this? I need a long shot. Did you did you get that? Uh, Let's have a pan. Let's have a tilt. And then he goes like, you know, Sarah, calm down. Go get a seat. Go get coffee. Let me do my job. And then. During the editing phase, I just submit everything and yeah. I just explain what I want. And then he he basically edits everything. Yeah. And he's an amazing editor. I mean, honestly, I've never worked with someone that's, that's that creative. Uh, and then he goes like, this is it. Watch it. And this has happened with multiple video producers back at CNN in specific, by the way. Uh, he goes like, okay, this is it. Watch it. I watch it. I'm like, you know something? It is amazing. I love it. It's great. But um, (laughs) can we change the music? Changing the music basically means changing the whole cut because they normally cut to music. So that's a nice way of saying, can we change it? And then he goes like, oh my God. (laughs) So (laughs) this has been the case with many, many video producers. And uh, during my trip to DC, (laughs) I was editing one of my reports um, alongside, uh, he was a freelance editor. And then I'm like, you know something, do you mind if I just like, you know, work on it, just change a couple of things? And he's like, sure, just sit down. I swear to God, I sat sat in front of the PC and thank God we learned how to edit back in uni. Yeah, yeah. I sat and I started changing everything and editing everything. And he was by my side just, you know, 10, 15 minutes later, I hear him snoring. (laughs) I hear snoring. So then I'm like, what, what, what? And I turn and he's asleep <laughs> on his chair. And and he just slept there all the way through. And just, you know, edited. And then I got Hiba. was uh, in the DC office. And I told her, Hiba, come quickly. I have to show you something. She's like, what? She went in. She's like, did you finish your report? I'm like, yes, but come. She went in. <laughs> and she saw him snoring. She's like, what have you done? <laughs> Apparently, he just sleeps through uh, editing normally. I mean, oh, okay. it's it's a it's a thing. I think it's a, he has some kind of medical. Oh, okay. Uh, the, the, yeah. the, so that's when I d- I discovered this later on, but I never opened up the subject with him. Sure. You know. Yeah. yeah. But he he used to constantly <laughs> sleep whenever I'm editing, and I'm like, sweet dreams, but let me work. <laughs> so yeah. But Matt, yeah, I I can like edit. I had to teach myself how to like edit not just the audio but also video for this podcast i'm not good at all i I can do like cuts i can do very very basic things it's and it's i'm like i can't imagine like 
when you go to that next level of like this maybe the level that you could add mm-hmm. and like man like it takes me a while and i don't do anything so i can't even imagine how long it takes for you um i wanted to come back sara you so you we've talked about um reporting we've talked about being on ground a little bit um you know the production side you know how to edit all that kind of stuff but you said at the beginning one thing that you love to do is write Okay, mm-hmm. so now I wanted to focus on like the the writing aspect of journalism. Okay. Let's, like for example, I know you did uh, some investigative reporting in Jordan. You mentioned that to yeah. me, and I want to definitely get into that. And was that before we start? Was that an on ground thing, or was that you covering a story? No, no, like, no. It was it was, it was written but on ground. Oh, written and on ground. Yeah. Okay, so basically, in investigative reporting, you have to be in the ground on the scene wherever that is. And then you gather all the evidence, you gather all the facts, and then you build your piece. You build it back home where you are okay. or wherever okay. you choose to, you know, but yeah. you have to be on the ground for that. Okay. Um, so how much, because I think you could, when you're writing any piece or covering any story, I think the amount of research and like things you could do is is not just a lot. It could be endless. So I guess... At what point do you f- know that, like, or you feel like, you know what, I think I have enough research here, enough information, sources, uh, statements, um, footage, uh, you know, going there. Like, how do you know when, or how do you get to the point where you feel like this piece is complete now? I think this okay. is good. Um, I just want to go back to the investigative Yeah, please, yeah, yeah. Right? I, I wanted to get yeah. into that as well, for sure. Uh, so basically, just for so that the listeners yeah, know what it's story. all about. Um, I was in uni and uh, it was my capstone project. Oh, okay. Yeah. okay. So um, we had to do either shoot a documentary or write an investigative report. Uh, during that time, I wasn't on uh, good terms with my professor. Okay. Okay. Uh, we used to fight all the time. All, mm. all the time. Uh, yani today, I'm very grateful for, for all the fights because uh, if it weren't for him, I wouldn't be where I am today and where I may be in the future, hopefully. Mm. Um, so basically, I didn't want to... I wanted to work with someone. I didn't want to work alone. Okay. If you're working on an investigative report for the capstone in specific, not in general, uh, you'll work alone, okay? And uh, I decided to join... Uh, my friend on her project which is it was uh, filming in syria filming a specific artist and i we we basically pitched the idea to the professor he looked at me and he was extremely angry uh, during that time in front of the class and he's like uh, x that's the name i'm not going to mm. mention the name of the student yeah. uh, you can you can film the video you can film the documentary it's approved sara you're not going to be part of the team Okay. I'm like, why? And she was like shocked. She's like, what's wrong? Uh, I went to his office. I'm like, why did you do that? I mean, we, I have, a, I have an image of what yeah. the documentary is going to be all about, you know, and how it's going to start out and how it's going to end. And he goes like, you are not going to feed off other people's projects. You are not someone who feeds off other people's projects. And you are not going to be the second person on that project. I'm like, okay, but I don't have anything. And um, I'm I'm very, very competitive. Uh, I was competitive back in uni. I'm still competitive now. Uh, And that's why I always used to think of big, big ideas. Uh, I Mm. wanted to do about, uh, 
uh, ISIS militants in Tunisia. And I actually oh, wow. started the, <laughs> yeah, the, the, the people okay. who, who moved from there okay. towards... I get the level now. Yeah, okay, so, I understand. So, so to that extent, <laughs> and I actually got in contact with some people. And, uh, oh, really? Yeah, oh, wow. Uh, people who knew people who went to ISIS, mm. who joined ISIS. I'm like, I want to do about that. But then the project kind of mm. did not work because no. people started to feel really scared of talking about it yeah i can imagine so um he helped me out uh, we searched for topics he's like why don't you do about administrative prisoners i'm like administrative prisoners he's like yes i googled the project administrative prisoners or um, detainees let's say in jordan uh, and specifically female okay okay, okay. so basically uh, they are called in Arabic Mokufat Idariyat. So they're not prisoners, they're detainees to be more specific. Okay. Uh, they are detained by the government to protect them from their parents or their family or their clan. Oh, really? Yes. Oh, okay. That's very interesting. Okay. So how's that? They come from a society that could be kind of uh, enclosed, you know, mm. not very open-minded uh, or who share specific cultural values, you know. I cannot comment on that. Um, But once they see that the lady uh, or the female has engaged in a conversation with a person of, uh, with a male, with a person from the opposite sex or or just talk to them um, or just thought that they talked to them, uh, things get dark. Yeah. Things get really dark. Mm -hmm. And in some cases, they really want to kill them. And that was the case of the detainees I spoke to. They were going to be killed. They escaped. Uh, the government found them. They took them. And they were then kept to be kept safe. They were, taking to, to, they were taken to Al-Jwaydeh. Al-Jwaydeh okay. prison. Okay. So it's a prison in Jordan. And they were kept there. And they should stay there up until their parents uh, sign a paper where they promise that they will not hurt female they were mm. not hurt their sis- sister They're, daughter yeah, yeah, blah blah yeah, yeah. blah and then the judge comes in and and evaluates this situation and either lets her out or not you know and sometimes they don't because many of them just sign the paper and then once the female's out she is done, done. for yeah so i went to jordan uh, i made the phone calls from here from dubai to just get in contact with the organizations with the uh, with the government, uh, but none of them responded. Uh, and whoever did normally said, where are you? Mm, yeah. Be uh, Dubai, Dubai. We can't talk to you when you're all the way back in Dubai. You come to Jordan and then we discuss it. We discuss whether you're going to get the interview or not. I'm like, okay. okay, do you want me in Jordan? I'll go to Jordan. And I was supposed to be in Jordan. I went to Jordan for 10 days and I had nothing. No, no set interviews, no people to talk to. And it was just 10 days and that's it. Then I have to come back, whether I finish the project or not. Um, no, and that's when no I started. Pressure, huh? Yeah, no pressure. <laughs> and I, I, I'm, I am Palestinian, yeah. but, uh, you know, most Palestinians go back to Jordan every now and then. Yeah. But I didn't. My family didn't. So mm. Jordan to me is just like any other country. It's like a new place. Yeah, it's yeah, a new yeah, place. Yeah. But I hold a Jordanian passport and I am As Jordanian many, by many nationality, <laughs> yeah. but I don't know where, what Jordan is. Yeah. So I started moving around. Um, 
going through taxis and they tell you don't ride public transport so the taxis the yellow taxis you see mm. on the street as a as a person coming from abroad when you don't know the streets just don't go with them yeah sometimes that that was the only option so uh, yeah of course i, I, know. I mean what are you do? ubers do not get to joy de prison <laughs> yeah. you cannot order <laughs> an uber to a prison so i used to wait i used to wait for taxis um and and I used to then, and I didn't have internet the whole time. Mm. So I used to write down the location and pretend like I know the warat. So mm-hmm. basically, yeah, you know, it, you have a duwar al And I didn't know what these locations are. How do you get around them? The circles, that's what they call them in Jordan. Um, so I had to pretend like I did know. And then he goes like, one of the taxi drivers, he goes like, listen, um, which street do you want me to take? Uh, I don't know Naqabat. I don't know Naqabat Shukanat. Mm-hmm. I really don't. Uh, he's like, do you want us to take that way? I'm like, you know something? It's going to be full of traffic right now. I mean, people are going. And I had no <laughs> idea if it's going to be full of traffic or not. But I had to make up something to pretend yeah, like I yeah, know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so it was it was an adventure. Well done. Nice move. Yeah, it was an adventure. And then speaking to the government to give me access to to sit in the prison with the with the detainees was something almost impossible. Mm. I, I promise you, it's almost impossible. One because of the story. Um, the story is very critical, and it's uh, it, and it's not a good thing. It's not good publicity, you know, for the yeah, for not. the country or for the government or, yeah. or or it's it's something that's there's something wrong. Very sensitive, yeah. Exactly, it's very sensitive. So I used to call people and uh, I used to call officials and. Uh, I used to constantly nag on their head. I used to call him three times. I cannot disclose his name. I used to call him three times a day. And I drove him crazy. (laughs) I drove him insane for like seven straight days. On the eighth day, he calls me. He's like, are you still in Jordan? I'm like, yes. He's like, tomorrow at 11 a.m., you have to be in front of Jwede prison. We're going to get you in. I'm like, perfect. Wow. Yeah. Uh, so I was there, I sat there waiting, and then one of the guards on the door, he's like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm writing. He's like, are you drawing? Uh, he asked me if I'm drawing first. I'm like, no, I'm writing. He's like, what are you writing? I'm like, what do you want? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because you cannot, you, you, as a reporter, as a journalist, when someone t- tells you, show me your work before you publish it, the answer is supposed to be no all the time. Okay. Because that's when, that. okay. yeah, because that's when changes could be made mm. by force or because you have to make them because they told you that you, that's it's not allowed. Off, yeah, that's yeah. not allowed. Yeah, or yeah, yeah. I don't want to do the interview anymore. Cancel it. So you never share your pieces of writing. I went into the prison. I was searched. Uh, I wasn't allowed to hold anything with me besides my pen and paper, obviously. And I sat with the administrative uh, detainees and I've heard shocking stories of people who barely have done anything. I mean, to us here, it's called communicating. <laughs> yeah. And it's sad. It's sad to... to and I ask them, what are your dreams? So they're like, I just want to leave. I just want to go back home. I want to study. Uh, I'm like, do you have hope? Like, we always do, but when are we going to leave? We don't know. Mm. 
and it's it was and I just stood I just sat there and I started writing and writing and writing I didn't want to miss a single detail yeah uh, I didn't want even their facial gestures uh, their looks yeah I didn't want to miss a single detail I went back I on my way back actually the taxi driver looked at me it was just a yellow taxi he looked at me he's like ammo which is like yeah, yeah. you know what why why are you why are you at Shreda? because you know i'm <laughs> yeah, yeah. i'm i'm young and i have a baby face by nature so my so he's like why yeah, are, why you, are here? you here what yeah, are you doing what here? did yeah. you do i'm like um i didn't do anything i was there to do some research He's like, oh, Allah which is God, like, God bless you, mm. and so on. He went by a gas station. He bought me water. He gave me a snack. I didn't that's, eat the snack. That's very <laughs> I was very scared to eat the snack. Uh, he was nice, though. Yeah, so, nice. yeah. yeah. Uh, I went back and I wrote every single detail. Uh, I gave them fake names. Sure. Um, but I still remember the real names up to this moment. I still have the notebook that I've written all the details on. and... And then I I had to go to agencies, humanitarian agencies, and ask them, why is that happening? Um, sometimes I got answers. Sometimes I got just stares of, this is, this is the culture. This is the way it is. Mm. Who's going to stop them? Um, and one important thing as a journalist, I mean, that's something that all journalists should, should kind of have with them all the time, is that... You need to know where you're going. You need to know who you're talking to. Um, I went to an organization that basically it's um, it's an organization that defends women, helps women. Okay, yeah. Um, and protects them. So when I went there, I went there with a specific personality. Yes. You know, I'm yeah. a woman. I'm interested in their stories. I need your help. I'm young. This is because... This is emotional, this is what they yeah, call yeah. emotional intelligence. Of course, you know? you're catering to the audience. Exactly, you have to cater to your audience. For when sure. I went to the another humanitarian organization, I was speaking to a man. I, I wasn't going to go like, uh, listen, I'm a woman, I, I really need... No, that's not no. the way you... I, I stood there and I asked all the questions. Mm. I went to the librarian in that organization. And I can't mention the name of the organization because then she's going to get in trouble. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's fine. And I told her I need the books. They had books about the laws uh, in Jordan mm. and uh, cases of women over there and stuff like that. So I told her I need the books. She's like, you have to read them here. You cannot take them out. I'm like, but you're, you're almost going to close and I don't have time and this is my research and 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 she looked at me she's like are you promised that do you promise that you're going to bring them back I'm like yes yeah she gave them to me although she wasn't supposed to she couldn't but she did because she trusted me and this trust this this humanitarian uh, thing connection mm. this is something you always have to carry and I wrote my research uh, I wrote my capstone and you asked uh, when do you know that it's time to stop you don't Okay. It's the deadline. Okay. That's it. That's it. And then things start clicking. When you get that click, oh my God, I connected this to that, to that, to that. I was able to ask this question to that person. And I got really high government officials in Jordan to, to respond to my questions uh, off the record, which was very, very good. Uh, and that's, that's how it was. And I've, I wrote the story back here in Dubai. I wrote the capstone project investigative report and uh, I submitted it and it was great wow <clears throat> that is <laughs> that's an amazing amazing story so many different points and 
to cover such a sensitive topic in a place that you don't know and I don't even know how do you start getting you're like yeah because I spoke to this official I'm like but wait wait how did you get find this <clears throat> find this official how did you how do you start and when you were talking about um when you're gonna do the the ISIS militant thing whatever where do you even begin to start like making those connections calling these kind of people you know like I don't even know where you would start. So can you tell us a little bit about like in both examples maybe just so we have an idea of where if I'm going to write this kind of piece and I need to speak to certain types of people that might not want to speak to me or it's a very sensitive subject. How do I start that like the uh, that trail, shall we say, of like contacts and communication and moving up up the ladder? Okay. Um, you read articles. Lots and lots of articles. You pick your topic, first of all. Yeah. You read lots of articles about it. And then the people in the articles ask certain officials. You write down their names. You write down the names of the journalists who worked on the articles to get in contact with them, to get in contact with uh-huh. the people they got in contact with. Gotcha, okay. And then uh, you make connections. You ask your fellow journalists. I mean, as a journalist, those people you study with, they're not only your friends. They're your tickets. Tickets towards certain stories, uh, mm. towards certain uh, uh, statements from certain officials, you know. Uh, so you read a lot and then you start forming your own idea of what do you want, how you you want to build your story. And you cater to that. So يعني, you have to, in Arabic, you say, yeah. to find that, uh, that thread. The thread that's yeah. going to connect everything together. So that's it. Okay. Oh, that's really, really interesting. When you after, like after hearing you say it, I'm like, oh yeah, that's a great, that's a great way to do it. You're that's a great place to start. Find somewhere to start. Yeah, yeah. Um, you mentioned uh, that's really, really interesting. Um, you mentioned something uh, a little bit earlier. We talked, and I'm like, I have to ask her about this because this links two questions I have. So mm-hmm. you talked earlier about sourcing, right? And having a credible source, and you just mentioned right now of, for example, in the, the the Jordan story, how after that you got responses from officials, but off the record. So, okay, I need to tackle this one at a time because mm-hmm. it'll get confusing. So let's talk about sourcing first. How do you? Let's say you're covering a story, um, and you find someone, and they tell you like, you know, maybe this. Is, stuff that like they know from the inside they're part of this organization whatever but how do you how do you i guess know if a source is credible or not that's i guess the question because i think maybe in some cases it's easier to tell than in others but in maybe like that jordan story for example it might not be that easy to you know mm-hmm. is this like it was what they're telling me is this true is it a credible source so what well, what are your thoughts around that how do we how should we think about that As a journalist, you're a detective. You're half a detective. (laughs) Okay? So you don't just trust anyone who tells you practically anything. I mean, um, when I was in Jordan doing that research, I got in in contact with um, one of the administrative detainees who was out, who was free, uh, through a specific agency, through a specific person in that uh, woman protection agency. And um, I was asked to visit her. She lives uh, somewhere around in Zarqa. That's how they say it in Jordan. Um, and it's a 
it's a conservative place over there. I have to dress in a specific way. Uh, I went there. She told me that neighbors are around. They may be listening. They they may want to know why a stranger is in here, their neighborhood. Yeah. Why are you here? Yeah. And because they really focus on that. It's not like Dubai, you know, where you're like, oh, they're coming to visit or, oh, I don't care what my neighbor is doing. No, mm. there they care and a lot. Mm. Okay. okay. So... I'm like, okay, what am I supposed to do now? I got a box of chocolates. And we're, when, when I reached to her house, uh, we were going up the stairs and her neighbors were outside on the balcony and they started staring. They're like, what is mm, she doing? What, this is, yeah, there's why? a red there's flag something, here. Something's yeah, going yeah, yeah. on. Yeah, yeah. And she looks not from around here. Mm-hmm. And then I went like, oh my God, it's been a long time since I, uh, since I saw you mm. last. I really missed, missed you. you. Yeah, How's yeah. your husband? And it was like, oh, well, oh, well. And so then they're like, oh, okay, uh, probably just like a, an old a re- friend relative, or relative or yeah, something. Yeah. I went there and I started asking her the questions. And you don't trust, a, even if you get this person through an international organization, you don't trust their story until you cross-check their story. Okay. I used to ask her questions. And then I used to ask the questions again 30 minutes later with a different rephrase to see if the answers will match. If any single detail is going to shift or change. Uh, She used to tell me details about how she has been held captive by her brother. Uh, I used to ask questions over and over again. I used to ask for details. I mean, what do you mean your stomach was bloated? What do you mean? Uh, how did it get bloated? Mm-hmm. Do you have the report from the doctor that says, and I I cannot ask her in a way where it seems like I don't trust you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, I don't trust you. I'm, I'm, I'm very suspicious of the story you're telling me. That's mm. not the way you approach your source. Of course not. But you go like, really? Um, okay, that's, that's so weird. But do you have any documents? Do you have any papers? Do you... Did they look at the papers? Can mm. you show me the papers? Something like that. You have to change your... It's not going to go like, uh, okay, mm, you know something? Do you have any papers that prove what you're saying? It's the not, choice it's of words is very, very important. Of course, yeah. So that's one thing. And uh, there's something about the off-the-record thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask you, so <clears throat> first of all, it's really interesting how... Um, not only the cross-checking part I get, but how after th- like 30 minutes later you would ask the same question in a similar way to like mm-hmm. see if the answers would line up. That's actually really smart. Uh, and that's something I didn't even think about because I guess that is an easy way. But there's a there's an art, I think, to do that. Body language is important. Of course. You know, how did they react this way? Did they go back? The did hands, is it like that? This is one? Yeah, relaxed? yeah, exactly. Does it, yeah, this this makes so, a difference. It makes a huge difference for sure. Um, and this is something actually um, talking about. Like interviewing and communication and body language something i like had to learn a lot i learned a lot through what we're through podcasting and stuff you know how to read the guest how to see uh, are they happy are they sad did that question make them happy did they go back did they go forward so there, there is an art to it you do it um, in your everyday life with with you your do. partner you yeah, do yeah, it with exactly. your boss you do it yeah 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 with your sister yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all the time it's true it's true um for the coming to the off the record thing so mm-hmm. let's say you interviewed me for a story on the record. This is okay. not on the record. I've, I've given you everything. And then I told you something off the record, but this off the record thing, this is basically the, the, like, the hidden gem. This is 
maybe this is I'm like I had to answer you in a certain way but now off the record I'm going to tell you actually what's going on can't league well from I don't know if there's ethically and then there's legally like how there do you there, there is right but <clears throat> what if it's something that's so thing that you you just have to go, go by the rules you legally can, are bound that I no matter what I cannot are there cases where that has happened um, I, I can I'm imagine pretty, there ha- I'm must pretty have been. sure there are cases where that actually yeah. happened but it's uh, ethical above and beyond everything you know mm. um and I was shaking my head all the time when you were saying, do you disclose? Or when you were getting to the fact yeah. of, do you disclose or don't yeah. you disclose? I'm like, you know something? It has to do with your credibility. Okay. Um, if a source never trusts you again, you're in big trouble. You're in big trouble. You may get that scoop, but you're not getting any other scoop later on. Because people talk. Uh, yeah. People talk. Mm-hmm. And... and and credibility for a journalist is the most important thing. It's uh, just like the suit for a businessman. Okay? It's mm-hmm. the same thing. It's your suit. Okay? And now you you can give and take. You know, you can, you can talk with your source about this thing. He tells you something. There is something off the record. And I was told by one of my fellow journalists and uh, one of my professors, actually. Uh, she said there is something called off, off the record. Off, the, off the record? Off, off the record. Okay. I didn't know about that. <laughs> okay. And uh, I'm, uh, it, was, it was interesting for me. So basically, you can ask your source. Okay, it's off the record as in I cannot say that you told me that thing. Sarah did not tell me this. Ah, but okay. does that mean I cannot say that a, government, a U.S. government official did not s- tell me this? Does, does that also count? Uh, sometimes they say, for example, a State Department official. Mm, yes. Sometimes they make it even bigger. A U.S. government official. Mm. That way... You're covering your very, bases, right? It's very vague. Yes, right? you do. Sometimes it's a U.S. official, not even... Yeah. You know, it could change. And if they say, no way, you cannot even mention that it's coming from an official or that I like even not, told it to yeah. you, you have to forget it completely. Mm. You don't forget it, but you don't mention it. Yes. But this is a thread. For example, he tells you, I don't know, this this official hid the papers uh, there or did that here. Sometimes they give them fake names, uh, Deep Throat, for example, um, when it comes to the Nixon and to Pentagon papers and to many, many other investigative reports, they used fake names. Um, then sometimes they can give you a key where you head to another person, you jump to another person, you jump closer to your story, closer to your facts, and that's yeah. how you could possibly use it. Mm. But never disclose, yeah. ever. Yeah, and it's not only about disclosing that information, also is it, I'm guessing sometimes your, maybe your producer or whatever would like to know, like, where did you get this from? Like, oh. who or whatever. And like, is it, as a journalist, should you keep your sources hidden? Okay, that depends. Exactly, yeah, because it's a a tricky thing. Because sometimes you're not only putting uh, the person's life on the line, you're putting your company's reputation on the line. Uh, Some companies know that they will be sued after this. Okay. And that's why, you know something, we need to know who who you spoke to. You don't, you don't, and sometimes if there's a mutual trust between you and your senior editor or editor-in-chief, you can go like, okay, listen, this is the person. But you cannot, and, and there's this thing that's bi- binding between journalists. But you can also go like, listen, 
It's either you publish it or you don't, but I can't tell you who that source was. Mm. I just can't. Yeah. And you just keep it for you. Yeah. And it's it depends on the editor-in-chief, if he trusts you or not, or if he's ready to take the risk. Some of them aren't mm. uh, on just uh, a, a trust, trust uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, matter. So it depends. Yeah. Oh, man. There's so many, like, I'm reflecting back on our conversation so far and in this world of journalism, I, <clears throat> before today, I literally, I was like, you're everyday guy that just watched news. I knew nothing. At least now I have, like, it's very interesting to hear, like, what happens behind the scenes. There's a lot of intricacies that surround the job, whether you're writing, whether you're reporting, whether you're editing, whether... <laughs> yeah. I don't know how you do it. Res- but, I respect it. But honestly, I know, I mean, um, I think many other journalists uh, deserve to be in the seat I'm sitting in and to discuss these stories even more than me, but uh, 10 times more than me because I'm still quite fresh to the field, you know? Uh, still raw meat. <laughs> yeah, so... Um, but... But it's a it's a step towards something. It's, For sure, it's a step towards something bigger. Hopefully, hundred percent. I, I really do hope so. Uh, you mentioned um, this is off. This was off camera, guys. So yeah. I'm trying to use the right terminology now. <laughs> okay. Uh, that you were considering now. You you wanted to go study international law and so on, and now you want to go down. Like, I think you want to looking down, looking to become a lawyer and stuff. So, I guess what's the I guess what's the reason you're kind of making not it's not. It's a shift in a way, but it depends what kind of direction are you looking for? Like, what kind of law would you like to be doing, for example? Okay. Um, I think I would dedicate this to everyone who's just working somewhere and who's looking to make a change. Yeah. Um, I get a good, stable monthly income. Okay. I work at a great... uh, media outlet with friends and people I consider family now. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I'm like, you know something, I want, there's this gut feeling, there's Mm. this voice Mm. that's telling me you have to move and do something different. And I'm I'm passionate about human rights law in specific. Mm. I'm passionate about international law. Mm. I love it. I want to understand it. Yeah. And to a certain degree, a journalist's job kind of stops somewhere, you know. In what sense? In the sense of um, you get to tell stories, if you're lucky, from the ground. Mm-hmm. Many, of, many, many journalists um, tell stories from newsrooms or just basically report on it through other media outlets. If you're very lucky, you're going to be on the ground. Okay, and if that if that's something you're passionate about, yeah, or in front of camera in a gallery, okay, or producing a certain event, uh, a segment, but um, to a certain extent, there's there's a limit to like a journalist. A ceiling? Yes, there is a ceiling. Mm. There's a ceiling in in many media outlets, a ceiling in 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 the Middle East in specific because of the way. Things are politically sometimes. Yeah, I can imagine. You know, you cannot you cannot speak freely all the time because you're not protected all the time. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. In many many cases, uh, in the West it's kind of different, but it's the same thing. Yeah, Almost give similar, and take. Yeah. You know, I mean, don't let's not pretend that um, 
media outlets there are completely free and they say whatever they want whenever they want. They could possibly be saying that. Uh, but there are limitations too. Yeah, I mean, you will be sure. reporting on a story the way yeah. um, the certain entity you belong to believes exactly. in the story. Yeah, you know? yeah. And it's going to be something you probably believe in too. Um, and the thing that actually shook me was, um, or gave me a wake-up call, was uh, Shireen Abu Akhla's death, mm. her her murder. Yeah, I'm like, okay, she's she she reported for many many years, and she has been an idol to many, to me and many many others, mm. to people on the ground as journalists and to people on the ground as civilians too. Yeah, but she was killed, mm-hmm. and she's gone now. Yeah, she's not here. But now what? What's next? Um, who's going to be taking up her case in an international criminal court? Who's going to be voicing out uh, the true facts and actually going to a court of law to discuss it? Yeah. Uh, journalists can't talk about it. But Shireen Abu Aqle, uh, she's she's definitely in our hearts. But at a certain point... Uh, Media outlets move on. That that's what happens. They move on to the next yeah. big story. Of of course, yeah. Um, and sometimes they have to move on because that's that's it. That's the job. That's exactly. like that's but the industry. That's how it works. That's how it works. Yeah. And there are other things to report on, but then you go like, okay, but who's is she just gone for good? With where's her right? Mm-hmm. Where's where's the right of every journalist on the ground? And then you go like, I want to do something different. Um, some people do not take up the case of people like Shireen because uh, it's very sensitive. Yeah. Because of the political ideology that comes along with it. Yep. And because of the nationality, being Palestinian, being Middle Eastern. And some many, many lawyers just want to take up a case that is a winning case. Yeah. You know, if it's... If it has all the winning cards, then yes, I'm going to take it. I'm going to become famous and I'm going to go to the UN or the International Criminal Court and just talk about it. And it's a win-win circumstance situation. But to sensitive topics, people take a step back. Um, I really hope I would be able to hold tough cases like that. Okay. To be able to, to at least grant those people. And because you cannot grant the death anything the dead anything خلاص, they're yeah. gone yeah but uh, the living the people yeah. the living deserve deserve justice you yeah. know mm. uh, and i'm not just talking about her family i'm talking about her family i'm talking about her colleagues i'm talking about every other journalist or palestinian or arab or human mm. it's not a matter of you're palestinian or not it's a yeah. matter of you're human Every other human deserves to know that they will be protected, that this is not going to pass by. Yeah. Um, this was something that shook me. Wow. And then I'm like, if that never happened, then I'll have the background um, in law, in international law, that grants me the opportunity when being on the ground and discussing um, events that are of political importance, I'll have the law to to. I have a law as a background. Yeah, 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 exactly. To back me up, to back my facts. Mm. Uh, If I work uh, at international organizations, I leave journalism and work at international organizations, I'll have the law to back me up. Mm. Uh, I can speak about it, not just because I read about it, but because I know it. I understand it. Yeah, yeah. I see. 
No, I think um, I think the direction you like. I think doing this, listening to the stories you've told me today, and like getting to know you a little bit more. This is like you are the, like on the human rights side, and that is what you're passionate about. And I like how you're thinking about what like studying and in, <clears throat> studying international law is like a it's like this key for you that could open many doors and even if you don't want to leave journalism it gives you a lot more weight when you're covering things when you're talking True. about stories and so on so i think it's awesome um and i wish you the best of luck Thank i'm sure you. you'll any just sitting here listening to you, I'm like, I'm like, she's a kill it, whatever she decides to do. Thank um, you for giving me this opportunity. No, it was of course. great chatting with you. Um, of course, of course. We're so happy to have you. Um, I just have two more questions for you. Go so ahead. these are questions I ask all my guests. Okay. okay? So um, looking back, first of all, uh, whether it's personally, professionally, whatever the case might be, if I ask you, what are you most proud of for yourself? What would you say? Hmm. That's a tough one. Many, many things, but I think uh, uh, oh, that's a very tough question. Come on. <laughs> I know, I know. Let me help you out a little bit. Mm. Usually, while in my experience asking this question, I've realized whatever's the first thing that came to your mind, it's probably that. Family, support. There you go. Yeah, <clears throat> then that's what it is. And family doesn't necessarily mean family by blood. I mean, yeah, yeah. the people so around you, the people you've had in your life. And the chances too. That's one of the words that kind of popped up. Uh, having a chance to do something while many, many others may be dreaming of this opportunity, but they can't take it because of certain um, um, things in life that force them to be where they are. So yeah, the chance. The chance. I think that's, that's a beautiful thing. Um, and for my last question... What is the message you'd like everyone to take home with them today? Um, should I speak to the camera? Or? You can speak to whoever okay. you want. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Okay, so I think the message is um, whether you're a journalist or not. Follow your passion. Listen to that gut feeling, to that voice. It is, it is the right thing. There's, actually, there's no right or wrong. Uh, it is the thing that's going to lead you to another journey. And uh, always be patient. And that's something I don't have. So I'm teaching myself now. <laughs> but always be patient. Yeah. I think that's a beautiful message and a fantastic way to end the show. I want to say, Sara, uh, thank you so much for coming. This has been an amazing conversation. I knew just from our panel discussion a few weeks back and the chemistry I had felt with you and whatever, that this would be a great conversation. I think... Um, the work you do is incredibly interesting. I literally, before our conversation today, I knew nothing about anything you told me. So for mm. me, I've just had like a full like download of new information and like ideas and stuff. So I want to say thank you. Uh, good luck. Thank you so with, much. Uh, with the law thing. And um, I wish you all the best, guys. And if people want to like reach out to you, connect with you, where can they get in touch? Um, uh, my Instagram account, I guess the social media okay. account is uh, good. It's S A R A H dot W dot Tamimi, T A M I M I. Okay. So that's, I think, that's the best way to that's get the in best touch. Way. Yeah. Awesome, guys. You heard it here. Um, so uh, thank you so much again, Sara. Guys, uh, please. I uh, hope you enjoyed the episode. As always, uh, if you can follow the podcast and subscribe at hope.it.helps with two S's on Instagram, Facebook, we're everywhere. 
And as always, guys, thank you for listening and hope it helps. Peace.